you are listening to the oneofus.net podcast network one of us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions we do accept pitches for audio based or banner ads but on a case-by-case basis if you're interested in that contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at $2, $5, $10, or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of Us needs and appreciates all your support. Hooray! Delicious Volume 1, Life Tastes Good, is finally at Amazon United States. What is delicious, you ask? Imagine a land where all your favorite foods live as human girls. Here in charming a la carte, under the floating city of heavenly delight, we meet Ramen, a young cook trying to run a restaurant with her family of pastas as they end up in all sorts of wacky adventures and hijinks as these strong, eccentric characters pursue their dreams and passions. Delicious is a beautifully drawn comedy series, which is now finally available to buy in the United States. Click on the banner on one of us, order today, and join in the fun now, because Delicious Volume 2, Yum Yum Yum, is coming really soon. A perfect gift for your child, or those of you who are forever young at heart. One of us strongly recommends this one. boys and ghouls it's halloween night and we're recording on the very night that we watch spooky movies movies about ghosts and vampires and the futility of war and the senseless violence of an armed conflict that wiped out an entire generation of european men in a war that to this day people don't know why they even started it or whether it was worth it jesus christ Whose idea was it to release this Halloween weekend? So it was because in Serbia, a guy sewed together body parts and made a monster called Prince Wilhelm the Kaiser. And then he started this post-punk band called Franz Ferdinand uh, and invented the anarchy symbol. Uh, Wait, I think we may have gotten our history mixed up a little bit. Oh my goodness. You know, I I just wanted to watch a spoopy movie. Something that would make me jump out of my chair, not want to crawl into a foxhole and cry myself to sleep. Yeah. Fortunately, I am not alone in the foxhole. Joining me in the trenches are my comrades, my brothers in arms, private first class, Reporting for duty, sir. (laughs) Private no-class Bo. How do I get out of this chicken outfit? (laughs) (laughs) I am Marco, uh, the guy in high school voted most likely to be taken out by a French sniper because of failure to follow the three on a match rule. (laughs) Very specific superlative for you. Hasn't happened yet, so technically I guess I'm still peaking. (laughs) We're talking about a brand new adaptation now screening on Netflix of All Quiet Along the Western Front, the classic war novel by Eric Maria Remarque. This has been adapted by Hollywood before, most notably in 1930, uh, in an Oscar-winning film, and then in 1979. What makes this version unique is that it is the first time this German-language book has been adapted into a German-language film. Was ist los? Das ist richtig. He kind of wasn't very popular uh, no. for a good chunk of the 20th century in Germany. Mostly with Hitler. 
<laughs> um, but yes, they burned a lot of the copies of All on the Western Front uh, during the 30s and 40s. Um, and yeah, I guess uh, they, they they didn't really they didn't really pick it up much uh, until you know maybe uh, uh, Berlin reunified. For those who haven't read the book, uh, it is the story of Paul Bomer. He's a teenager who signs up for the German army during World War One, goes to war with a head full of ideals and a sense of patriotic duty, only to find out that's all bullshit. Uh, there's nothing adventurous about war. There's nothing glamorous or romantic about it. It's horrible. It's senseless violence and death and destruction. You're either going to die or come back home emotionally and physically scarred for life and yeah. alienated from society and unable to assimilate back into the lives they once thought they were going to have. But only uh, in the 19- It's a real bummer. Yeah, but only in uh, uh, 1918. Not like now. Yeah. No, no parallel. We've licked those problems. <laughs> I mean, it's not like we're still squabbling over European borders. I mean, come on. This is... Not at all. This is so long ago. The P in PTSD stands for past. (laughs) (laughs) You know, those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. And those who do are doomed to watch other people repeat it. And Mm. that's kind of where this film lands. It kind of feels like, hey, remember this happened? This could happen again. Maybe we should be reminding one another uh, that this could happen again. And the book still feels pretty damn relevant uh, to this day as... As we see Paul uh, from a, you know, well-to-do middle-class family, he's a nice kid. He's obviously going to graduate high school, go to college. He's got his whole life ahead of him. And now he's in the war uh, where he's thrown in with a bunch of other guys and forced to live in the trenches. And it changes him uh, forever. I've seen the 1930 film. I've read the book recently. I have a lot of thoughts about this. Oh, yeah. What was your all's opinion? Are you familiar with prior versions of this story? And how did that impact your viewing of this new version? I'm, I'm very familiar. And as a matter of fact, uh, watching the, the 1930 pre-code version of this was uh, one of my most amazing cinematic experience because I, I got to see a, uh, a fully restored print during uh, wow. 100th anniversary of Universal, I believe. Wow, and <laughs> yeah, it was it was amazing and uh, pretty gory for its time because it didn't have to deal with the uh, the so-called uh, Hollywood Code, uh, which wasn't strictly enforced until 1934. It hewed very closely to the book, uh, which I also love that I've I've read you know several times. So this is a bit of a departure. Hmm. It starts off, you know, kind of straight up. You're like, oh, they are not playing this out like the book at all, which starts more or less in media res. And then we see, or rather here, because Paul Bomber is the, the first person narrator in this, we kind of get his like, hey, you know, here's how my my teacher kind of, you know, convinced me to sign up yeah. and, uh, uh, you know, how I ended up on the front and the the horrible Martinet that was our drill instructor and, you know, how those guys ended up kind of entering the conflict themselves. And that's not there no, uh, in this at all. And also there's a completely... Not from the book storyline, which is basically the story of the signing of the armistice. And I'm going to be blunt. I'm not going to say it's a full-on German apologia. <laughs> but there are, there are 
elements there. They're definitely like, wow, the French are being dicks. And it's like, um, yeah, you guys did invade Belgium. You're the baddies. <laughs> You're the bad guys. Just because Daniel Bruhl signs the armistice, hashtag not all Germans. I mean, <laughs> oh, I don't think we should be reading too much into that. Yeah. Uh, that being said, the recreation of trench warfare is absolutely amazing, absolutely grueling, and it certainly does achieve what was the the whole point of the book, which is like war is a grisly exercise, and we should avoid it because it, mm-hmm. it basically is a meat grinder that you pour your your country's young people into, and that's not yeah. good, surprisingly enough. <laughs> Oh, uh, so I was involved with an, a stage adaptation of this when I was in college. It was wow. broken up into an anthology of of sections, and I played Paul in the sequence that's in this movie, almost identically so when he's in the foxhole yeah. and stabs the Frenchman. I that's I've been in that scene. I played that scene out. It was a, a very emotional, moving experience when I did it researching the book and learning about world war one in that capacity and and getting to dive into the psyche of of a person who would do that and survive that and and so seeing it play out on the screen again was it took me back a bit but yeah the the world war one section of this movie following the story of that is incredibly well done it's all the the armistice stuff that they've added in this, that w- that's when I would do my notes for this. Was right. Whenever those sequences would come up, that's when I'd put my notes on. I'd, I would kind of check out of those moments. There's nothing very gripping happening, you know, and of course the stakes are, are really low because you, we've already seen the sequel to the, <laughs> what happens after this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have seen many, many movies that are the sequel to this bad decision. And, and the conditions of the armistice and then later ratified during the Treaty of Versailles is going to create some of the resentment that's going to feed into the rise of authoritarianism. And But it's like, I don't need you to tell me that because the book is all from Paul's perspective. And yeah. I, I kind of resent any time we spend away from Paul because it's his story. Exactly. Daniel Bruhl and this other, uh, this uh, General Friedrichs, who is a composite character. Daniel Bruhl is actually playing a real-life person, Matthias Erzberger, uh, who was later assassinated a few years after this. uh, You know, so, because people were angry at the Weimar Republic and they were very angry that they signed this horrible treaty. Mm, How dare they? And the French had them by the balls and they were like, no, 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 you're going to completely surrender. Not only that, you're going to acknowledge that this is all your fault. We're going to decimate your army. You're going to have to scuttle your navy, and you will be paying reparations for a very long time. In fact, the last reparation they paid to France was in 2010. Wow. Jeez. So they had them by the balls, and it made a lot of people very unhappy. This is an interesting story. It just doesn't belong here because so much of what remarks book was about was a bunch of guys at the front going look all these guys at the back who are making the deals who are starting the war and ending the war they don't know what the fuck's happening out here they have no part of our story and we're not fighting for any cause anymore we're just fighting to save one another right yeah and that's like remark was very upfront that this is not a political book i'm i'm not trying to gouge the eyes of anybody on either side I am showing you what a soldier experiences at the front. Take that or leave it. Correct. 
because he had served. Yes. It was a very autobiographical novel. It, it was a very popular novel, but within a few years of publication, it's banned by the Nazis. That should tell you everything you, know, you need to know. <laughs> when you're trying to raise an army and trying to, you know, spur nationalist fervor amongst your young people and telling them how glorious it is to fight for the fatherland, you probably don't want them reading a book that says that's all bullshit. Yep. Yeah. And what's worse is even the guys in the book are like, you know, the other guys just they got told the same bullshit story by their leaders. And now we're shooting at each other and none of us have any real reason to be here. It's a very bitter, very angry, very personal book. It's so strange to me how they've truncated so much of it and removed a lot of it. The scene that TC mentions, which is one of the centerpieces of the book, mm. uh, the night that Paul spends in a bomb crater with a dying Frenchman that he has stabbed. They've shortened it for the movie, understandably. It's a whole night. It's a nightmare. He's there in the dark, only seen occasionally from the light of the flares as this guy takes forever to bleed out. Mm. And he feels terrible about this man he's killed. But the thing is, it's explained to us that it's the first person he's ever killed. Yeah. And yet in this movie, a few scenes before, Paul literally just stabbed another dude. So it's yeah. like, did you guys miss that part? That this was so impactful because it was the first person he had ever killed up close? Not the second or third? The art of adaptation here is a bit lost. Because going from book to screen, even the original, the original adaptation from the 30s is much more true to the source material. I've also seen the 78 version and it's it, it might actually have a little bit more depth as far as bringing in the source material than the the, mm -hmm. the 32 original did. And it's it's a, it's a very good version too. Yeah, that's interesting. I've I've not seen that one so It's it's got curious, John but... Boy in it. Oh, yeah. from, the, from the Waltons. It's uh, Richard Richard sure. Thomas plays Paul and he and does a Ernest Borgnine. And Ernest Borgnine is cat. But as far as adaptations are concerned, no, this is not a great adaptation because it added in what seems like an apology or an apologist's view of the armistice. However, cinematically speaking, the look of this film, the cinematography, the makeup, the effects on this, this is cited as the most expensive movie Germany has ever done, and it shows. This is an incredible companion piece for 1917. Like, if you could watch Flags of Our Fathers and Letters of Letters from Iwo Jima as a companion piece for the Pacific World War II, 1917 and this is a really fantastic look at two different sides of the war that did not end all wars. Yeah. To, to TC's point, there's a lot of great filmmaking on display here. Mm -hmm. This is actually a pretty damn good movie. It's just not a great adaptation of Remark's book. I mean, granted, there's a lot of things in Remark's book that are going to feel familiar to you because, you know, we've had a hundred years of war films. We've had all of these tropes, you know, the mentor figure, the young guy who finally gets laid for the first time, the dude showing the picture of his family, and you know he's never going to see them again. Yeah, exactly. I feel like they could have almost made this exact same movie, just called it something else, changed a few character names, and you really wouldn't be the wiser. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. I mean, I understand not wanting to just remake the 30s film or the 1979 film, but it's just a little off-putting, and maybe it's just because I read the book very recently, and I think very highly of it, and 
it's the first time they've ever done this story in Germany. Why not nail it? Do it, you know, nail it because you're not going to get a chance to do it again. I mean, it's not like a Christmas Carol where they just do a version <laughs> of it every year. Yeah. But you know what, guys? Uh, let's go ahead and rather than spoiling the book or the movie any further than we already have. Spoiler warning, Germany loses. Uh, Let's just go ahead into our final thoughts. TC, lead us off, please. As our ability to capture the horrors of war and film continue to improve, we are given more and more realistic looks at war itself. And as we are given these haunting portrayals of war, it gives us an even greater understanding of the nightmare that is war. And the pointlessness of fighting like this, I couldn't help but just feel sorrow watching this painful movie, watching this soldier go through what he does, and just getting beaten by the uselessness, the futility of all of this. And a movie that's well-crafted doesn't glorify it, doesn't create propaganda to invigorate it, or drive foolish young people to want to experience battle, and then... It shows us the inhumanity of it. And then you do have the propaganda of the B story in this movie. So I just mentally checked out every time those scenes came up. And I've removed those scenes from my consciousness because just showing us the cost of war. When this film is focused on what it should be, this young man's perspective, this film is raw and relentless. As said, this is a perfect companion piece for 1917, which has a similar pace and feel to it. But 1917 would have suffered if every now and then we cut away to see, oh, how's the treaty signing going? How's how's this going to all wrap up? No, no, just stay in the trenches. Stay in the blood and the muck and the awfulness of this. And you're going to feel this in your soul watching this journey into madness that this kid goes on. I wish I had a big screen because this is so beautifully filmed. The cinematography in this, the scope of it, the score and just everything production-wise on this is fantastic. And I wouldn't be surprised to see this starting to get some foreign movie nominations as we move towards the end of the year. I was affected by some particular scenes in this that even if you know the tropes and the cliches of war movies, I don't think you're going to see some of these things coming. If you're a history buff, you're not going to like this. But if you're a cinephile, particularly for war films, I think you're really, really going to find something special here. It's not a perfect film, but it's pretty damn good. I'm going to give it an eight and a half out of 10 paper girlfriends. Bo. I agree with uh, a lot of what TC is saying. I don't really feel that there was any need for our B story here. Hats off to Daniel Brühl. I think he's a brilliant actor, but do I need a movie telling me like, Hey, you know, funny thing about the uh, November 11th armistice, uh, Marshall Foch. Kind of an asshole. <laughs> it, it it really doesn't do anything for me in, in 2022, whereas uh, the, the footage of the battles, and more importantly, the footage away from the battles of just the men, and especially Paul and his, his friend Kat, being men in the situation that they're in is the the most moving thing about this. And, I mean, there are, there are moments where it takes your breath away, and some of that is because it is, it's a gorgeously filmed piece. Some of it is because things happen that, that are just awful, which is good, because that's, that's what you need in a war movie as far as I'm concerned. 
if you have a friend who's extolling the virtues of Top Gun lately, uh, by all means, <laughs> set them down and, and have them watch this and go, you know, you're probably not qualified to fly jet airplanes anyway. <laughs> so, that being said, this movie is way too long because it has the B story, which I won't say is so ineffective to feel tacked on. But it definitely adds a lot of time to this movie that would have been way better spent with getting to know the the people that Paul got to know uh, in his platoon and that, you know, eventually pass on. I, I think it would have been a far richer emotional experience. And yeah, I, I very much agree with uh, what Marco just said as far as if you're going to do this, there's no need to take a wild swing at it just you know set up your aim and nail it because the source <laughs> material is there it's been interpreted before and even if you're doing just a an updated version of it that's beautifully filmed you're you're gonna get kudos so there's no need to uh reinvent any tanks for this uh i'm going to give it eight out of ten bowls of very thin uh uh cart awful soup that is to say <laughs> potato soup yeah, there's there's so many iconic moments from the book that don't make it into this adaptation. And like Bo said, it's about those guys getting to know each other. It, it's not all doom and gloom. There's actually moments of levity. There's moments of bonding. Uh, there's moments of like life experiences. Uh, there's an entire sequence of Paul going back home on leave yeah. and then realizing, Jesus, I, I don't fit into this world anymore. I can't wait to get back to the front where at least I can be with my buddies and life makes sense. It's such an important part of the novel and it's completely missing from this adaptation. One of the opening sequences of the book is just them like they are literally sitting in an open field having the time of their life, eating good food and shitting in these <laughs> open air yep. latrines. And it's a beautiful fucking scene. I wish, and, uh, and he makes it clear that this yeah. is a good this day. Is great. This is a good day in yeah. their life. We get to, you know, we get to shit and eat. Nobody's shooting at us. This is fucking awesome. <laughs> I mean, what more could you ask for? Except maybe some pretty French girls, yeah. which is another thing that shows up. It's like you have the famous scene where they go off with the French girls, and it's very clear that Paul loses his virginity that night, and it's another moment of him losing his innocence and moving into manhood and realizing that this young woman is never going to remember him. <laughs> Not at all in this. Movie. Movie. It's like, hey, Franz, I'm going to go, I guess, have a three-way with these women and leave you guys behind. It's like, I mean, maybe they just thought it'd be more pathetic if some of these guys die as virgins. I, I, I don't know. In the book, he, he signs up during the first year of the war. Here, they go into the third year where there's really not that patriotic fervor anymore. Yeah. It didn't pass my smell test mm -hmm. because by then they're like, they are literally, it's beautifully staged. We're seeing people die. They're washing these bloody clothes, patching them up and recycling them, giving them to these new recruits. And, you know, by this point, everybody pretty much knows the war is over. Paul's journey is when he starts at the beginning, when everyone's telling him how great it's going to be and we're all going to be home in a couple of weeks and it'll all be over and we'll be heroes. Uh, so it really feels weird and kind of undercuts his journey. But you know what? I'm going to stop talking about that and just <laughs> give my damn review. Look, I'm not a purist. When it comes to adaptations, I'm not. But if you look at Remark's life, I know this happened over many years, over many different governments, but Germany basically coerced him into going into a war that left him wounded and traumatized. After the success of his book, his works are banned, they're burned, his reputation is tarnished, 
he's forced into exile. And since they couldn't get their hands on him, they fucking beheaded his sister. As far as I'm concerned, Germany owes Remark an apology. And the best way I know how to do that is just tell his story without editorializing and adding this other stuff to it. And Mm -hmm. because it's a lost opportunity. I mean, it's like they put it on the operating table and they managed to salvage the broken spine of the book. They salvaged the spleen, which is still pumping bile effectively as ever, but they cut out part of its heart. And I feel bad about that because otherwise this is a pretty damn good movie. It's just not a good representation of what made All Quiet on the Western Front the stone cold classic it is. I'm going to give this seven and a half out of ten stale croissants. Oh, 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 those flinch. You can't trust them. I mean, to be fair, Remark did go on to uh, uh, marry Hollywood actress Paulette Goddard. So uh, uh, he, oh, yeah. he did have and, that And going. bang Marlena Dietrich. Yeah, and was a race car driver. He had an interesting life. <laughs> he had life. an interesting life. I'm just saying. He, he didn't, uh, you know, he, he, he didn't just do the, the PTSD thing and fade from existence. Uh, he, mm-hmm. uh, he moved... Uh, away from Germany and told the whole country to go fuck itself and uh, had a, a, a good life despite that. If life has taught me anything, it's live your life in a way that would make Adolf Hitler pissed off. <laughs> Hell I yeah. Mean, that's the best revenge. <laughs> that little Doomkopf is having a good time right now and meanwhile I'm in a bunker and I'm eating just schnitzel that's three <laughs> days old. Adolf Hitler ain't fucking Marlena Dietrich. <laughs> Put that on a t-shirt. 